Good morning. Oh, wow. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Nice and low. We're going to be coming out of 1 John again. We're going to be in the second uh, chapter. We'll be starting. And uh, uh, 1 John tells us how to have fellowship God, with God and, and with God's people. And we would think that that's fairly a simple thing that we should know how to do as Christians, but it's something that I believe we fail at um, pretty miserably at times. Uh, the first chapter tells us uh, that walking in the light means really evaluating and um, looking at our sin in our life and being real with, with God about that. And are we dealing honestly with the sin in our life? And he touched on a couple things there that said, you know, some say uh, this isn't sin. And we know that the Bible tells us in the last days that there are going to be those that call good evil and evil good. And so in our life, do we try to justify sin by saying, well, it's not really sin, and try to minimize those things. And then there's those that say that they don't sin. So first, uh, first John chapter 1 sort of deals with sin, walking in the light as he is in the light. And it says when we do that, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And in chapter 2, introduces us to, uh, I think it's one of John's favorite um, uh, themes, which is abiding, abiding in him. So uh, the Greek word um, used for abiding is used ten times throughout uh, this chapter, at least verses 6 through about 24, 26, somewhere in there. Uh, abiding is an important theme. It's an important theme in the Gospel of John 2. And so Jesus talks about abiding with, well, what does abiding mean? To abide in. Well, it means to remain in. That's one thing. When we're abiding in something, we are remaining in it. So when we look at this, we talked about the intimacy that our relationship is supposed to be with God. God is not someone that's far off. He's not just somebody that we treat like Santa Claus that we just go to when we have a need or a request. But abiding would be a continual thing. It means to live or to dwell with. So you know, we get our word abode from that too. But when you abide with somebody, um, you're living with your wife, you're, you're living with your roommate, you're abiding with them, you're living with them, to dwell with them. And it, it speaks really of this close, intimate relationship with God. So as we talk about this close, intimate relationship, again, it seems like something that would make sense, but uh, the question that John asks us is, are, do we have this in our life? Are we living abiding with Christ, having this close, intimate relationship with him. So again, to be intimate with somebody means that, that you know all about them. You're open with them, they're open with you. Um, your desires, your likes, and all these things uh, sort of become one. And so do you have that relationship with Christ? Are you abiding with him? Are you intimate with God? And so today we're going to talk about Really, when, when love is done right. So another thing that Christians fall short of a lot in their life is, is godly love. Okay, So we have conditional love in our life. We, we love those that can do things for us. We may love sports teams. We may love things. Uh, but the love of God is something that only comes through a relationship with Christ. And so if we don't have a relationship with Christ... We cannot have the love of God in us. And so we're going to talk about the, the right kind of love. John is going to talk about the right kind of love 
in chapter 2 here. And since we all sin, and so don't be deceived, we're still sinners. We're just sinners saved by grace, as the cathedrals would sing a song. We're still sinners, and we know that when we do sin, we need to know where to go to for help. And many of us choose not to have help. You know, the Bible talks about us having eyes and not seeing, ears and not hearing. There's this thing that we get in our life sometimes that's called pride, and pride keeps us from confessing and repenting of our sin. And again, confessing is agreeing with God that there is sin and this is sin in my life. So if the Bible calls it sin, we recognize it as sin and we agree with God with that. And then repentance is our desire to change that in our life. So sometimes you say, well, I have a hard time doing that. I struggle with that. We don't do it in our own power. As a matter of fact, the reason we sin is because we walk in our own power our own strength, our own wisdom many times. But when we're dependent upon God, that sort of can go by the wayside for the most part. But are you choosing to live in sin? This is what John is talking about. If you want and desire this intimate relationship with Christ, are you choosing to sin? Are you choosing to to not see? Are you choosing to not hear the things that are around? And so what happens many times when we fall into sinful patterns in our life we begin to avoid God. We stop coming to church. We stop reading our Bible. We stop having fellowship as God has commanded. Because we don't want to face these things. We, we like where we're at sometimes in our life. We, we like our, our habits or our tendencies. Or sometimes the pride is we just don't want others to know these things are happening in our life. So when we sin, we need to know where to go for help. And John replies that we have a friend in high places, and that's Jesus Christ. He becomes our defense advocate, as the scriptures are going to tell us here shortly. He's the one that stands in our place. When we sin, we have an advocate in heaven. And so 2.1 tells us this, My little children, these things I have written you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. The first interesting thing in the scripture is this, is that John writes and says, my little children, he he had a relationship with this church and with these people. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so you may not sin. John says, my desire for you is that you don't sin. Do we have that expectation? Do we have that accountability with one another for those very same things? And again, we know that we're going to sin. But that doesn't mean we just throw up the towel and say, well, God understands, because God doesn't understand. God understands that he has provided us a way out. He has provided us with the strength of the Holy Spirit in our life. But he says when we do fail, when we do fall short of these things, he has provided an advocate. But the the desire of Paul is this, is that we do not sin. Do you wake up in the morning and say, I I really don't want to sin? When you come to choices in your life, do you just decide to walk in that pattern of sinfulness? Or do you choose to listen to God and allow him to strengthen you through these things? So he says, you know, my desire is that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, righteousness, holiness, pureness. There is one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, his Son. And he becomes our advocate. He becomes our, our, our defense attorney for the sin in our life. So uh, I've worked for the state 37 years in the correction system, in the judicial system. And, 
and I know how courts work. I know how these things work in the world. So you're accused of a crime, right? And so you go before the judge or the jury, but you stand before this judge and he needs to make a determination, is this person guilty or not guilty? And if this person is guilty, what is going to be the sentence? Well, the same thing is in our spiritual life. There's a judge. And it says there's a day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the judge is going to look down upon us and he's going to say, are you innocent or are you guilty? And the Bible tells us on those days there are many that are going to plead their case. They're going to say, well, I, I did good things. I gave a lot of money. I, I, I you know, wasn't as bad as, as my neighbor Fred. And, and so I, I'm, I'm better. Yes, I, I tried to do the best that I could. Lord, you need to let me in. And the Lord's going to look and say, you know, the word of God says this, that our righteousness in our flesh is as filthy rags, that all are sinners, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. And so these deeds that we do, and they can be good things, they can be nice things in this world, but he says they have no eternal value towards me unless you know Christ as your Savior. And so for the believers that stand before the judgment and the same questions may be asked, Jesus steps in at that time and he becomes our advocate. In verse 2 it tells us this, and he himself is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world. Jesus has paid the price, this word propitiation, it means an offering, a sacrifice. Jesus has become our offering. The Old Testament talked a lot about the animal sacrifices or the grain offerings or the drink offerings. The sacrifices and the offerings that were made. And, and in the New Testament it says Jesus has become that for us. He has made full propitiation of our sins. Made full offering. Made full sacrifice for our sins. He has appeased all the requirements of God the Father, the Holy, the Righteous One. But there's another meaning of that word. And that word is victim. Jesus became the victim of your and our sins. We don't think about that. But what's a victim? A victim is an innocent person who has suffered a consequence at the hands of another. Jesus went to the cross as a victim of my sins. As a victim of your sins. He who was without sin became sin for us. He who was without spot or blemish. Bore the sins of the world. And it says the whole world upon himself. So he has become our advocate. And so when we sin, Jesus admits our guilt to the Father. So when we, are, when we confess those things, we are in agreement with God's word. We say, yes, Lord, I have this in my life. Yes, Lord, I see that this is sin. We're in agreement. We repent of those things. And Jesus comes before the Father and says, well, here's Pastor Craig. And yes, he is guilty of those sins, but I have made an offering for it. I have made a sacrifice. I have paid the price. I have stood in his place. And Jesus pleads his blood on our behalf. There's times when I was young where I used to get in trouble and I'd have to pay a fine and I'd stand before a judge or a court or whatever and, and, and I had to 
pay a price. A lot of times, my grandma, bless her heart, she would bail me out. She would pay the fine. And I could get that little note sign that said, paid in full, you're free to go. But Jesus has done that for our eternal life, for our eternal soul. He has become the victim for us. He has pled his blood on our behalf. So when you're thinking about sin in your life and you want to minimize the sin in your life and the things that you do, think about that. That it was his blood that had to be shed as your victim for your salvation. Puts a little bit different spin on it. We don't take it quite so lightly that way. Romans 5, 5-9 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, God showed us his love through the Holy Spirit. We experience God's love through the Holy Spirit. The intimacy with Christ is important because the closer that he draws to us, the more of his love that we have in our life and we can feel in our life. And it says this Holy Spirit has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that amazing? God didn't die for the righteous. He died for the sinners. He died for the ungodly. As Jesus hung upon that cross, he looked down at people that had driven the the spikes into his, his hands and feet, those that had whipped him, those that had spit upon him, those that were out there mocking him. He saw the, the guards out there that had gambled for his clothing. He looked out there and saw those that would never accept him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He pled that on our behalf. And we were powerless. It says Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of the cross, while we were living and standing and working against God, he gave his life. That's that unconditional love. That's that agape love. That, God, that we can only have through a real personal relationship with God. It wasn't conditional. God has never said, if you come to me, then, then I will love you. If you come to me, I will do this. God says, I love you. And the forgiveness is just here waiting. Do you believe? Do you believe in Christ? God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood. He's our defense advocate. He stands before the Father. Now that we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath through him? The penalty phase of, of the judicial system is gone when we believe in Christ and when we believe that he is who he said he is. When we repent of our sins and, and, and confess our sins And when we walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you believe that? Do you walk in that way? These days of just gathering together as 
as, as a church or as believers and, and just basically stroking each other's egos and wanting us to make each other just feel grand about ourselves, that's not the gospel. The gospel is a right relationship with Christ. It's letting Christ work through you. It's fellowship with one another. And so as we get into this, he talks about our relationships with others. Why do we have fractioned relationships with others? Why do Christians sue Christians? Why do we gossip about others? Why do we have bitterness and, and envy and strife in our life? Because Christ isn't where he needs to be. The Bible tells us that the proof of eternal life is daily obedience to him. Verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Make this a test for yourself. Make this a self-examination of scriptures in your life. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Well, they tried to pin him down on the commandments. Well, what's the most important commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your, with all your being. Your heart, soul, mind, spirit. Love your Lord, your God, with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this is the summation of all the commandments. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You say that you know God. Is that your desire? Do you love God more than anything else in this world? Do you believe in Jesus Christ and who he says that he is? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Sometimes people aren't easy to like. But God tells us we need to love them. We need to look at them with our Jesus eyes. Not for what they can give us, but we look at them and say, they were created in the image of God. Do you know that everyone that you bump shoulders with every day, no matter how wretched they may seem, or how righteous they may act, They've been made in the image of God. God has a purpose for them. God has a calling for them. God's desire is to reconcile them back to us. 2 Corinthians talks about the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile man back to God. So he tells us this, that the, the proof is, is, is in our walk. We don't do those things for salvation. It's a result of salvation. The example I always use, you've heard it, you throw yeast in a, in a ball of dough and you set that ball of dough down, you come back a little while, it's changed. It's grown. Something's different. The Bible tells us the same thing is true. God gives us this Holy Spirit. If you're truly born again, if you truly have a relationship with Christ, something's changed. And it's not me that's doing it, but it's the Holy Spirit in me that's doing these things. By this we know that we know him. Some people say, well, you know, I think I'm a Christian. I really don't know. The Bible says here, this is how you know if you're a Christian. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. How do you deal with that? What do you do with a scripture like that? How do you apply that to your life? How do you justify a, a sinful lifestyle and and?" see a scripture like this and say, I'm still a Christian. He says here, if you say, I know him, but you hate your neighbor, you hate your fellow believer, you hate the neighbor down the street, you say, I know him, but God's not the most important thing in your life. 
My desires are the most important thing in my life. My agenda. I want things I got to accomplish. But I say I know him. What does the scripture say? He says you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You know there's that, that saying from some movie. You want truth? You can't handle the truth. There's Christians like that. They want this relationship with God. They want to wear the banner Christian. They want to say everything's fine in my life, but they want to continue to live like they want to live. And when you speak the truth to them, they're mad. Now we need to speak the truth in love. Okay, We need to have, not just to prove ourselves right, but for some people, you speak the truth to them and they get upset with you. They ignore you. They avoid you. They don't want to hear you. They'll talk bad about you. But we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is a representation or a representative of Christ in this world. Proclaiming the gospel is not always an easy thing. We think, well, I just need to go out and I'm going to share the gospel. Everybody's going to believe. And No. Jesus says they hated me. They're going to hate you also. Jesus drew fire, sometimes friendly fire. We're going to have the same thing in our life, but he's still called us to do it. He has called us to speak the truth in love to one another. The proof of our eternal life is our daily obedience to what Christ has called us to do. Because when we are walking in the light as he is in the light, when we are obedient to those commandments of loving God with everything we have, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, it's going to lead to a more intimate experience of God's love in our life. You want to experience more of God's love? Draw close to him. Start reading your word. Start spending time in Christian fellowship. Start, start having a prayer time in your life. And as you do that, the intimacy is going to grow and you're going to experience his love in your life. Obedience means living as Jesus did. And you say, well, wait a minute. He was God's only son. He was perfect. He was without sin. What do you mean? Live as Jesus did. John says in verse 6, He who says he abides in him, he who abides in Jesus. We have a lot of words for that. Born again believer, I'm saved, whatever we want to call it. He who says that he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. God wouldn't tell us that this is possible unless it was. Peter tells us he has left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Does that mean I'm going to be as sinless as the Savior? Never. Never. The side of glory. No. But it means he's given me this example. It means that Christ has, has showed me and told me how to live. He has told me and showed me the examples of how to handle situations. He has told me and showed me about priorities in my life and how to treat others. He has told me and showed me about grace and mercy and love and judgment and discernment. He has told me and showed me all these things through his life and through his word and I am to walk in those things. I am to walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 Peter 2 tells us this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 
So there's the question. Are, are you dying to sin and are you living for righteousness? Because it seems like the world today doesn't do that. And it seems like even many in the church today do not do that. They're not dying to sin. They, they, they glory in their sin many times. We know the world glories in their sin. Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you following the, that, that righteousness and living for that? Saying, I want to be closer to Christ. I want to be more like Him. I want to, to, to be that light in the world that when people see me, they know that something's different. Are you just satisfied with what you want in life? By his wounds it says you have been healed. Christ went to the cross. He paid the supreme penalty. Again, he has, he has been our, our advocate, our offering, our sacrifice, our victim. By his stripes you have been healed. And it says all of you were like sheep who have gone astray. The Bible talks about everyone seeks after his own desires. But he says, but now you have returned. If you're truly a believer of Christ, if you believe in who he says that he is, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Walk in the light, John says, as he is in the light. Because brotherly love is the essential mark of a, of a Christian life. You know, it, it, it tells us in 1 John 4, 20, I think, you know, how can you say that, that uh, you hate your brother who you can't see and, and love God who you cannot see? Again, verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You got things against other believers? Do they need to be ironed out? Do they need to be committed to Christ? Brotherly love is the essential mark of a Christian life. Do you have that love? For one another. And he says it's not a new command. Verse 7. I, I write you no new commandment. But an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. Jesus has always preached this. The Old Testament talked about that love. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away. And true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. God gives us his light. He gives us his word that we might examine ourselves and use that light. Search me and try me, O God. If there be any evil way in me, any vile way in me, show that to me. That I can deal with that in my life. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother, he says he's in darkness until now. Well, you say, well, I, I don't love him, but I, I really don't hate him. Just sort of indifferent to that person. Apathy is worse than either love or hate. Indifferent is like that person doesn't even exist. You know, love and hate is at least an emotion that can stir something up in you. But in the Bible's eyes, there's love and there's hate. You know, you either love somebody with the love of Christ, or you hate them. You know, there's a, there's a saying that says, 
Um, well, you can sure tell he's his father's son. He's following in the footsteps of his father. You know, the Bible talks about two fathers. It talks about our father, God. Or it talks about your father, Satan. See? Who do you follow? Whose footsteps are you walking in? The Bible says, do not be deceived. We like to deceive ourselves. I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. Everything's fine. But it's not. John is giving us these little epistles that we might examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Examine ourselves to see if our walk is where it needs to be. Is your walk where it needs to be? Is it really where it needs to be? Listen, we all have room for improvement. I love genuine Christians because when you see a genuine Christian, you're going to see the, the chinks and the marks and the scars, the bruises. You're going to see some of this in their life. The genuine Christian, they've gone through it. They understand. They're not ashamed of, of those scars because, you know, a scar is a, a sign of something that happened in the past. They may not like their past that got them there. But, you know, I got scars on my body that, that show that I've healed. I got scars on my body where they took something out that was not good, that I might live. See, our spiritual life is, is much like that. Obedience is a distinguishing mark of life that Christ brought to earth and is showing us. Love is often defined. You know, you say, well, this love stuff. We can't talk about this love stuff. You know, there, there's enough in the Bible. We know about judgment, that we're going to stand before God. But it is love that has set us free. It is love that sent Jesus to this world. It was love that Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for. It is love that needs to be the very basis, the very foundation of the things we do because it was the very base and the very foundation of everything that he does. And even his judgment is based upon love because he's a holy God, he's a righteous God. But love is often defined as the single most important sign in the world to identify who a Christian is. Remember the song? They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. So what does the world think when they look at our church? Our people? Do they see people that are consumed with the love of Christ? With the pursuit of righteousness? Do they see people full of grace and mercy? Do they see him carrying the banner of reconciliation to bring the lost to Christ? Unfortunately, many churches today have other banners. The banner of anything goes. The banner of judgment. We can have all sorts of banners. We need to fly that banner of Christ. He who loves his brother abides in light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going 
because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you've ever gotten up at night and walked through your house with no lights on, at least in my house, I stubbed my toes, I used to step on little matchbox cars when my kids were little. When I was younger, we used to play with these things called jacks. They probably outlawed them now. But you couldn't see them, and all of a sudden, there you were, stepping and stumbling and kicking and stubbing. It's a terrible thing. Lights are wonderful. Turn them on, you can see where you're going. I was raised in Minneapolis. We had the glow of the city. Everything was, was it wasn't light, as holy light, we would say, but it was light. You could see everything. We were dating, we'd be down on Hennepin or Lake Street, somewhere down in some place we probably didn't belong, and you'd hear gunshots go off, and you'd sort of step in the doorway for a while until the gunshots stopped, and then you'd go back out and you'd walk your way, and never really thought I had anything to fear. The world's like that. They walk in sin. They walk in the, in the darkness of this world, and they have this little glow that Satan can give, and they really don't have anything to fear. But when I moved up here, I couldn't believe how dark it was out in the country. You know, my, my wife's parents lived out in the middle of nowhere, and it was dark on dark nights with no moon. It was dark. And then I had a friend who began to take me coon hunting, which, you know, what do you do? You're out in the middle of the night walking through woods and swamps and cornfields, and everything I saw when I was young, all the crazy people, all the them killers and crazy farmers hung out in cornfields and woods and swamps. So no matter where I was, I always thought somebody was just behind the next tree. I had this fear. I had anxiety. As big as I am and as strong as I thought I was, I had this anxiety that just sort of overtook me when we were out hunting. And I remember my heart pounding and racing. And then I got myself, it was called a nightlight. This one on my head. And it was wonderful. It didn't light up the whole woods. But it lit up where I was walking. Didn't need to worry about stepping on stumps or tripping on roots or wild animals coming after me. Because that light took fear away. Well, the light of Jesus does the same thing in our life. He has come to set the captives free. And just like that little nightlight, he may not show us from here to the end of our life. We might not even see through tomorrow or next week. But it says, my light is a lamp unto thy path and unto thy feet. We can see the first few steps and, and that's good enough because as we take those few steps, the next few steps are lit up. And so forth and so on. Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? It says, perfect love casts out fear. When we have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, his perfect love will cast out fear. We don't need to have a fear about sharing our faith with somebody. We don't need to have a fear about doing what is right. Because it will become second nature to us. The closer that we draw to God, the closer that he draws to us. And we are abiding in him. We are remaining in him. We're living and dwelling with him. It casts out that fear. Are you walking in his light? Let's pray.